You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 30, The Naturalist, featuring Irvin Luke. This episode of Find the Good News is sponsored by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. Check out our work at parkerbrandup.com. Before I kick off this episode, I've got a few announcements and updates I want to share with you folks. Next week's episode features local historian and the author of Lost Lake Charles, Adley Cormier. If you'd like to have some nuts and bolts historic knowledge about Southwest Louisiana, then this is the episode for you. Honestly, I probably could have listened to Adley for another two hours. There's just so much that I don't know about Lake Charles and sulfur and really Southwest Louisiana in general. He, he just cracked open so much. It was a lot of fun. And I think anyone interested in history or anybody who's really just moved to the area or who's been living here and just kind of scratching their head about uh, the cultural significance of, of a lot of things, I think this would be a great episode for you. The week after that, I've got Catholic blogger and speaker Diana Vallette, and that was another really deep conversation that I, I thoroughly enjoyed. I'd love to have Diana come back for one of our mixtape episodes. Speaking of the mixtape episode, I'll be doing that visit this month. That conversation is going to be with Good Newsies Paul Gonsalon, Elizabeth McDaniel, and Rosie Pryor. This is a great opportunity for you, the listener, to join in on the show. You can call the Good News Listener Hotline that I've set up and ask me or one of the other guests a question. If you've listened to the show, then you know there really are no fences, and, and in fact, I actually prefer if we jump over the fences sometimes. Call in with a question, and I'll play it for the guests. It could air on the show. That hotline number is 802-459-1668. That's 802-459-1668. You can also get that number on the website at findthegood.news. That's findthegood.news, just in case you can't remember the number. I've got some other new things coming up that I'm not quite ready to fully announce or reveal just yet, but if everything works out, it looks like I'll be putting Find the Good News on wheels. These special road trip episodes will be a lot of fun with some new features. I'll tell you more about these episodes as they develop. Uh, We're just now kicking around which guests are going to be on those shows, but... um Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and I I tend to post some information there that you won't hear on the show and updates about things that are right around the corner. This road trip is going to be a lot of fun, and it'll be more of a multimedia experience. So if you listen to the show, you'll be able to see videos and pictures that are relevant to the things that me and the guests are going to be talking about. It should be a lot of fun, and it's just a way to keep, uh, keep expanding the podcast platform. As always, as a listener, you can help keep the good news free by subscribing to the podcast through your favorite listening app or by leaving a review. Another great way to support the show is to use one of our advertisers next time you have a need for their services. Yes, this episode will have more advertisers in it. So the next time you have a need and you do use one of these advertisers, let them know that you heard about their services or their products on Find the Good News. In an effort to keep the show untainted so to speak i'm going to really work hard to only include advertisers that offer good products or services things that i would actually use myself or that i am using myself so just keep in mind we're not going to let this show be overrun by just any type of uh, advertisements you know it's going to be things that are going to be relevant to the show or sometimes even guests who offer services that have been on the show I really do appreciate all the ears, minds, and hearts that are tuning in. I'll keep looking for good news and sharing it if you keep listening. Now, let's press play 
on a little good news. Irvin Luke, the Tootin Park Programs Manager for the City of Lake Charles, came by and visited me on Find the Good News. Through his job as Programs Manager, Irvin has an opportunity to impact and educate the community on exactly how important it is to kindly consider and engage the natural world with care. After talking with Irvin, I've learned that I need to change my language because there is no natural world over there, around the corner, or in some far off place that we have to visit. Urban stresses that the beauty and diversity of the natural world is everywhere, not just in our city parks and nature retreats, and it's certainly not something to be feared. He reminds that we can touch nature in our yards, our homes, and within ourselves. It seems to me that this is his mission, to cultivate an individual and social awareness about the relationships between people, creatures, and the environments we all share. He's furthered that mission by forming the Southwest Louisiana Master Naturalists, a group that regularly offers nature observation, study courses, and events, including backyard bird counts, nature walks, insect studies, as well as plant species identification and management. To be honest, I didn't know all of these activities existed right here in Southwest Louisiana and that I could take part. Making efforts to harbor a high consideration for nature and its processes is not just a paying job for Urban Luke, it's a way of life. He's turned his childhood interest in our flying feathered brethren into a profession and message that is sorely needed today more than ever. We share this world and we need to live like it. We should strive towards deeper looking, conscious production and consumption, and consider the relationships, the interbeing between ourselves, our environments, and the tapestry of life that we engage with each and every day. From Irvin's perspective, it seems everything is important and is worth understanding. The energy Irvin Luke puts towards sharing his knowledge is good news for the places and spaces that make up our homes, our communities, and for the other children of creation we share them with. Wake up, it's morning, you're dreaming up a story I can hear the way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep on the path to your deliverance and a holy wall of light. Old news, bad news, fake news, sometimes you just want to shut it all down and get no news at all. With Find the Good News, I aim to change that by focusing on good people doing good work. I visit with artists, educators, civic and spiritual leaders, musicians, business owners, students, volunteers, and everyday citizens who are using their creativity, resources, and talents to bring hope and happiness to their corner of the world. In each episode, I dig into the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have street-level conversations about relatable things going on in their lives, discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that are anchoring them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of news in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm gonna find the good. I love you just as well. Man, I tell you, I've got probably 10,000 questions I could ask you, though. I'm so fascinated by what you do. So I kind of want to start with that. So exactly what is your title and where do you work? Okay, yeah. Uh, I work for the city of Lake Charles. I'm the parks program manager, I guess you could call me. Okay. Uh, 
So parks program manager, is that overseeing all, I mean, that's all the parks in the city of Lake Charles? Uh, mostly writing grants and coming up with new ideas for programs to do, especially environmental related. I got you. So that was something that kind of just digging a little cyber stalking I did on your Facebook page. I was kind of fascinated because there's so, I'm, I'm guilty of often saying, you know, there's nothing to do in the wild other than hunt and fish, you know, in Southwest Louisiana. And I know that that can't be true. And just going through your face, just your Facebook page, I found 10 things I didn't know about. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of going, you look like an advocate for that. Like you want people to know there's so much more that you can do with nature, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what are some things that in your, that since you've uh, been in your position that you know of that people can take part in just at any time of the year, like something that uh, is going on in the parks, but they don't know about? Uh, anytime you can go out and experience birds and wildflowers and that sort of thing. Um, actually this week is the great, or this weekend is the great backyard bird count Yeah, where, um, I think it's through Cornell and they're just encouraging people to go out and count birds and report what you see. Really? Uh, so, so I've had a lot of fun with that in my own yard and at yeah. some of the parks too. So when, when they, when people get involved in something like that, what is that, what do they need to do? I mean, do they just take pictures? Do they just try to identify them using some sort of a bird identification app or any, or book or what, what's someone's best option for her participation? Oh yeah. A lot of those, especially with birds, since they're hard to get pictures of, you yeah. want to go out and learn a little bit about it first sure um there's some good websites like allaboutbirds.org and such but yeah. um basically just go out see what you can identify and report a checklist okay well i'll tell you it's kind of auspicious this that i'm meeting with you today um this morning i, I i'm i love to watch birds and so that's my favorite thing to do is to get up especially on the weekends when i have more time is to go go up before sunrise and have this uh, one oak tree in my front yard and we have feeders hanging all around it and i love to sit there and just see the birds come through and just be really quiet and watch them and then just watch the different waves that they come in you know i'll have mm-hmm. the little sparrows for a while and then i'll have some of those um red red wing blackbirds you know that come through and i'll get these cycles you know and i just love doing that but this morning I go out there with my coffee and I was really startled because my wife's rocking chair, which the back is facing me, starts to kind of move. And this huge bird, I thought it was an owl, comes flying off of the porch <laughs> up into the oak tree. It was a hawk. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was so strange. It's like, so this hawk was just sitting in my wife's uh rocking chair you know and i thought well that's interesting because i'm going to be talking to you today you know but it was yeah, really awesome. neat man i mean he sat there i don't know five six minutes and just kind of stared eyeballed me you know mm-hmm. but uh you know i told my son later in the day i said you know we've been seeing a lot of these hawks lately in our neighborhood and, and a lot of them come back to the same spots i've noticed mm-hmm. you know and i don't know i don't really know a lot about why but uh you know it's just neat to see those types of things right there in your neighborhood Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, birding to me is, uh, I don't know, it's an easy hobby. Mm-hmm. You know? It really is. Uh, just the past weekend, I've seen about 18 or 19 species in my own front yard. Isn't that something? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that because of the time of the year right now? Are we in the middle of a migration right now? Uh, not right now. Um, we're about a month before migration okay. really starts. Uh, there's just a lot of wintering birds, and they're starting to get revved up and ready to go migrate back to up north where they came from so yeah. they're getting excited and 
fueling up, I guess, and then they're going to head out. So what types of things are people going to be able to see when that migration starts? Things that they wouldn't see normally. Oh, a bunch of colorful birds. Uh, tanagers and warblers especially. Uh, just find a mulberry tree, really. Yeah? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We have one in our backyard, but it's not really something you can see. It's kind of off the beaten path. Mm. I have to feed in the front yard where we can watch. You know? mm-hmm. I do notice when I put out different feed, I get different birds sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, started putting mealworms out, and I got a whole different type of bird you know started mm-hmm. coming around so I, and i don't know is the smell of the mealworms or what it was i, I have all kinds of questions about this because i don't know a lot about it but i just i know i enjoy it you know mm-hmm. and um i always tell my wife i said you know it's just i'm going off no information but it's interesting to watch them change but i just am fascinated by how that communication begins that there's a new type of seed out or a berry or mm-hmm. how do the birds communicate with each other to know that this is now here and it and bring in their type of bird there's just interesting things i you know it's mm-hmm. i guess watching nature is really uh fascinating the on your page you um you post a lot of things like that telling people to look down and look closer mm-hmm. you know where does that start at for you like where does that passion for that begin in your life Oh, I don't know. I've just always been one to kind of look at the ground and kind of just be real observant of things. Um, Actually, today I was raking leaves out of my ditch and I found a little, um, I think it's a rough earth snake. Really? Just in the leaves. Uh, They're apparently semi-fossorial, which means they kind of dig under the leaves and under the ground and eat earthworms and that's really of thing. yeah so you, you just, just keep your eyes peeled huh? oh yeah when you encounter has it always been that way for you though even at a young age i mean i don't know how old you are how old are you uh, 29 29 so i mean when you were a kid were you like that as well like fascinated by what was going on uh, around you not as much uh i really got into uh, watching nature documentaries and steve Irwin and that sort of thing oh, wow man. and um really once i got into high school i started birding and stuff and then started I guess that's my uh, mindfulness practice, I guess, is to just try to be observant of the world around me. Yeah. So that's interesting. I mean, look, I got to say this. Most kids aren't birding in high school. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's kind of cool, man. I mean, it's one of those things you can, out of all the kids in your school, how many would you even say are going to go be interested in birding in high school? Realistically. Not many. Not many, right? I mean, I wasn't open about it. So you did this all as a hobby for yourself. It was mm-hmm. just something you... Yeah, it was just something I did. Um, got my parents interested a little bit in a, a little bit, so they drove me around to different places and stuff, uh, going out to parks and nature centers and that sort of thing. And that, I, love, I love that. I love that because then you're affecting your parents Mm -hmm. so have they taken an interest uh, because of your interest Uh, somewhat Uh, my dad was a hunter and stuff when i was growing up he'd go squirrel hunting and rabbit hunting and stuff um but yeah once i started getting interested in birds and other wildlife uh, they started getting interested in it too yeah well i mean imagine i hear that from a lot of hunters i'm not a hunter um in fact i've just never it's just never been a part of my life. I mean, I've, I've been fishing, and I do enjoy that to some degree, but I've never been, um, I don't know, never been drawn to go hunt a creature, uh, mm-hmm. and so it just wasn't for me, but I do hear a lot of hunters speak that way. You know, they get to see a lot of uh, the mm-hmm. natural cycles, and they're watching those things, I mean, as it relates to hunting, so there is a an appreciation there. 
So that's interesting. So you and your dad would have that kind of connection, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's just a little different whenever you're just observing, you know, and you're not hunting. Yeah, definitely. There's still that uh, seeking out aspect of it or the hunting aspect just without the killing. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. My son and I were just having that conversation. I said, you know, just sitting and watching a creature uh, and not imprinting yourself upon it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something fascinating about that, watching their behavior. I used to go out to the uh, at the border between Texas and Louisiana, right there on the Sabine. You know, they had the boardwalk out there. It was mm-hmm. like a nature walk, a nature walk out into the marsh. And I used to love going out there and watching the herons fish. You know, in, mm-hmm. in the evening especially, you'd, they'd, they'd be out there walking slow. And I always used to say that it looked like they were doing Tai Chi. You know, the way they would just so slowly move across there and then out of nowhere, just like a lightning strike mm-hmm. and reach down. It's a pretty beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. Something spiritual about it, for sure, I think, when I'm looking at creatures like that. I don't know. I, I had a lot of common ground with you and just the way you... Uh, I go for a little morning walk here on the sidewalk. And as you can see, there's nothing mm-hmm. at first blush there's nothing there yeah I mean, it's just definitely. a lot of traffic cars a lot of you know, litter you know mm-hmm. which is almost hard to not find litter in southwest louisiana but um i always try to look past it and look at the smaller things you know the mm-hmm. things that are that we might normally blow by and as a meditation that has been very very powerful for me to find beauty even in kind of a an ugly place mm-hmm. you know so I don't know. I think sometimes we can we can blow by a lot of beautiful things. Oh, it's really easy to, especially in today's world. But when you slow down and just sit there and try to observe something that you may have walked by a thousand times and not even noticed, it's it's nice. Yeah. One of the things that kind of fascinated me about you and just again cyber stalking was uh, all of the different types of things that it looks like are going on at the parks as far as research goes and again i i'm i'm about to ask you to fill me in on the kaleidoscope of things that are out there because i'm kind of ignorant i was just beginning to scratch the surface on what you shared but i mean i saw mosquito research partnerships with max magnese for research mm-hmm. i mean what all kinds of things are, are going on in our public parks that we don't us as the general public just aren't aware of yeah um at Tuton Park and Riverside Park, that's where my job focuses. And uh, we have we have a lot of invasive species out there. So we actually have air potatoes, one of the worst invasives. It's, it's like kudzu. It grows 70 feet a year. It's a vine that climbs up to the tops of pine trees. Really? And um, Air potato? Air potato. I've never heard of that. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So um, Big, aggressive vine that's got these huge heart-shaped leaves on it. Okay. And it produces these uh, tubers. Well, they look like tubers, at least, that hang from the the vine i see and um lsu and southern uh, are starting this program where they release these beetles that eat only that species of air potato really uh, it started out in florida okay. and um a couple of professors one at lsu and one at southern uh, they're a married couple and they came over from florida so they know the people there and they started releasing those beetles here to control it has it been effective um it's hard to say we just started releasing them in uh, August. I think we'll release some more this year. Um, but they have a graduate student on it now that, that's actually going to be assessing that to see how effective it can be. So that type of thing takes a while, yeah? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you don't just like drop those types of creatures in and then all of a sudden you're going to see an immediate result. Oh, you see some results, but I mean, 
we have a couple of acres of air potato and we release 200 beetles and they're about the size of a ladybug so oh, really? you see okay. you know evidence of them and you see their their larvae eating the leaves and stuff uh, but it's going to take years before they get to that point to where they actually control the, the air potato okay well that's interesting so i didn't know any of that was going on you know mm-hmm. that you know it's not something that i guess uh, as a general public it's not a lot of media around that type of thing mm-hmm. and then honestly yeah, that, that leads right into the show i mean the whole point of the show is to try to give a little bit of light sh- to things that maybe are going on in our communities that are good that we're just not aware of you know mm-hmm. so easy the, the bad things get a lot of attention oh they really do and tons of discussion too mm-hmm. you know when uh, when you point your energy at something good you, you can we can change that a little bit i think mm-hmm. so what else is going on with the parks i mean that people don't know about that are they're being utilized for Oh, yeah. We have McNeese classes that come out. I'll actually be leading bird walks for McNeese ornithology class uh, in March. Uh, bird walks. What are those? Oh, uh, We'll just walk around. And a lot of the students aren't very um, experienced in identifying birds yet. Uh, so I'll help them identify and learn how to find different species and that sort of thing. And uh, we'll go. We'll do one at Teton Park, one at Riverside. And then I'll go in my own time and help them out at uh, Sam Houston as well. So how long does something like that take a bird a bird walk? I mean, I know the different size of the park would matter. I'm assuming for the length. It does, but about an hour and a half to two hours. Okay, so they would go out there, and then basically you have some sort of a uh, um, resource for them to help them look, or is it just kind of a free for all? Everybody just sort of looks on their own. Um, we'll walk together. Um, I have binoculars that they can okay. they can share or. Well, I have enough for each one. Uh, they can use ours, and we can walk around and just see what we can find. Yeah. Um, and I actually do that with the public as well at Tooten Park the first Friday of the month. Really? At 9 a.m. and at Riverside Park at uh, on the third Friday. And at that's 9 just open to anybody who wants to come? Mm-hmm. Wow. How many people are showing up for that type of thing? Oh, uh, this past one, last Friday at Riverside Park, we actually had, I think, eight people came out. Really? And that was one of our bigger turnouts yeah usually it's between four and eight what do you consider a manageable size for something like that um once you get past eight up to about 10 or so it starts to get a little hard because then you have to start controlling people as well as trying to find birds and stuff yeah yeah because you're making a bigger footprint maybe mm-hmm. a noise print too yeah yeah definitely because yeah. um, a lot of the people that come out they m- might not be familiar with each other or may think each other's super interesting and just start talking about their own lives and then we forget to kind of look for birds and stuff. right that's the thing about people man we, we do like to socialize with one mm-hmm. another but um when we get out in nature, well, it is, I guess, I don't know, I haven't really sat and thought about this very much, but even going camping, um, so often when I was younger, the hike to the campsite mm-hmm. would be a lot of talking, you know, with your friends and laughing and whatever to get to the campsite. And then you get there and there's a lot of laughing and talking mm-hmm. and it's a great time to connect with people. But as I got got older, I've enjoyed going whenever i don't have that where i can just be totally quiet and not have all the communication going on i can actually observe Mm -hmm. you know and and sink in a little bit you know yeah definitely i mean the fellowship's nice especially if you don't know each other and stuff and you're interested in some of the same things um so i even thought about well maybe we can get together 30 minutes early we can kind of talk and get that out and then go out and look for birds yeah i I think it's cool to know that that exists i didn't again it's my own fault 
And it's my own ignorance, you know, that I didn't mm-hmm. know that that was going on. I mean, there's but, just so many things going on. It's hard to keep track of everything. It is. It's true. But I mean, if you don't sit down and just like putting together the show and looking for people that are interesting and doing good things in the community, um, focusing my attention on that, I'm seeing more people, right? I'm seeing new lights, I guess, mm-hmm. in the community that I was not aware of. And so I think that it's like that with this. I mean, I have to look. And if you don't take the time to look or seek it out, sometimes you're never going to see it, you know, because, again, I I don't think maybe those types of things are getting the same attention as the the ugly things, you know. Mm -hmm. But I I wrote I wrote something down that you wrote that I really liked. And it just it was very simple, but it was powerful to me. And it said nature isn't something that's way out there. It's everywhere. So what does Mm -hmm. that I mean, on the surface, I know what that means. But like, what does that mean to you? I think so often we get caught up in the idea that nature is something that's out there at the state park or the national park or something like that, or even at, at, at the city park, uh, Whenever and then we, we forget to look for it in our own lives, on our walk to work or walk to school or uh, just in our front yard or our backyard. Yeah. Um, like today, I actually mowed the grass in my front yard and I left this stuff in the backyard because there's a lot of wildflowers out there that... Most people probably would just mow over and not think much of it. Um, but there were some bees out there and just cool stuff. Yeah. Well, that's that's sort of been something since I was young as well that sort of stung me a little bit is that we, um, and it goes back to what I said earlier, when it comes to natural things and other creatures, it's we, we create a lot of barriers and walls and it's like this is ours and that's theirs. And then we, as people, as a, as a creature ourselves, continue to take more of theirs without giving as much back, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I like the, the, the blend of the wild spaces where you get to have a little bit of encroachment of, of nature and allow some of it to come back, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think that a lot where I live because uh, we have some really beautiful oaks out there in Carlos, but I've noticed over the last year, you know, you start to see... Um, homes that are for sale now in the in the signs the realtor or whoever may be the property manager has got commercial property you know Mm -hmm. and what i know that means is eventually which i've because i've seen it before out there is that those big oaks are going to be gone they're not they're not going to come in there and say this oak is very big very majestic let's build around it Mm -hmm. let's leave these things in place those things are going to get completely just cut down and there'll be concrete and some kind of business there or strip malls and i know that's where it's headed that kind of stuff just stings me because i i think what's the value mm-hmm. of, of just leaving something natural in place but i don't know that we're really fully thinking about that here right now no i don't think we are and i think even when some people are thinking that way uh they may not be uh, they may not know enough about the tree because uh, i do see some places where they're saving live oaks uh, they'll build a parking lot around it, but then later on the tree starts looking bad. They didn't save enough room for the roots. Right. And then it ends up dying 10, 20 years later. Right. Um, at time scales that we don't even live in, really. Right. We're not thinking on those mm-hmm. scales. You, you kind of mentioned that. You mentioned mindfulness right out of the gate. What does that mean to you in that regard, being mindful? I think it's paying attention to... Um, the small things and to your surroundings and to to yourself by extension of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, being mindful also kind of relates to what you just said about timetables. You know, we tend to think, 
of our lifetime and our timetable, mm-hmm. or even sometimes not even our full lifetime, just our youth. Sometimes we just operate in 10, 20 year time spans mm-hmm. if we're even doing that and not even thinking about the next 20 years of our life or then our children's lives and, and our grandchildren's lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think building is that way. I, I see that right now for me. It's, I don't know. It's kind of a little bit of a feeling of heartbrokenness, I guess, because mm-hmm. I know what's coming, especially out where I live. You know, I just know what's coming and uh, there's nothing that you can do really to stop it. Because uh, when you're talking about bottom lines and numbers, those types of things mean nothing to that. Those trees mean nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you can see that very clearly. And that, that just stings a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just no saved green spaces. No, they're really not much. So I guess in a way, sometimes the parks are really the only places we have that are like that in our communities, right? I mean, we're mm-hmm. lucky to have those. And I honestly think we have nice parks around here. Oh, we really do. Yeah, Drew Park. I mean, you can really get out there and see some really beautiful, really majestic oak trees. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a nice park. And there's some work going that's about to begin or already beginning out there, I believe. Yeah, right? I think it's probably about halfway done now, okay. re- renovating the walking the path, walking I think. Path, yeah. uh, the rest of the park's still open, though. I was out there earlier this week. Yeah, when I was a kid, man, I used to go out there and uh, I used to love to just go sit sit in the, the big roots of those trees, man, mm-hmm. just, just just to sit there and just kind of feel it, you know, something like that, just uh, the ancientness of it, I guess. Yeah, it's nice out there. Those, yeah. those trees are so big. I'm still fascinated in someone's story, especially sitting here with you, how just an interest in birding has developed into what you do today. Mm-hmm. So what's the path for you? I mean, to go from that initial interest to where you're at today. I mean, where does that go? I mean, is that uh, what begins to steer you in this direction? Yeah, for the most part, um, getting into birds and stuff. Uh, I was always interested in biology and that sort of thing. And I think birding kind of built on that. Because um, there's so much in birding that you, you're looking at birds' behaviors. You're learning about how different species are related to one another. And that just kind of builds on the biology aspect. So I went to McNeese, um, studied wildlife management there, which kind of broadened my horizon to the plants that that uh, other wildlife need. Because um, when you're when you're doing wildlife management, you're not managing the animals; you're managing the habitat, which is the different vegetation species. And that just broadened my horizon to trees and, and wildflowers and stuff. And then you start learning about the insects that need those specific species. And then the, the reptiles and amphibians that may eat those insects. And it just builds on everything. You're, you're walking right into one of the words I wrote down I wanted to talk to you about. And it's a, uh, a word that's thrown around a lot by one of my favorite writers and teachers is Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a, a Zen buddhist teacher oh i'm not Um, familiar with him you'd probably Mm. like his writings uh, honestly just looking at the type of stuff you're interested in and then what you do but the word is interbeing and he uses that word quite a bit and i want to read something that he wrote and get you to tell me what you think about this okay one of his one of his sayings is smile to the cloud in your tea and then he writes this when you look into your tea what do you see and he goes on to say that he sees a cloud floating in his tea Yesterday, the cloud was up in the sky, but today it has become the tea in my cup. What do you think about that? What do you take away from that when you hear that from your perspective, you know, and what mm-hmm. you do and what you just described? Um, 
I mean, you know, you you just said this this give this beautiful description of you know the 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 reptiles that eat the insects, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the way things are moving and connected together. I mean, does that ring true with you when you hear what he's saying? You know, the cloud in your tea. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, taking it from a little bit of a more literal perspective, I guess. Um, sure. Thinking about how tea plants are grown and the clouds that nourish those tea plants with rain and um, just, you know, certain different types of tea need certain amounts of shade and cloud cover and all that kind of stuff. To And tea, um, my wife loves tea, so I, I've started to develop an interest in it. Yeah. And there's so many different kinds and so much variety within it. It's almost like wine or any other uh, craft beer or something. It's just so much, so many different kinds. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, and you're looking at, the, like you said, the environment that it's grown in, the temperature, the oh, altitude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it just ties into, to me, it, I thought of that when I was kind of researching you because I thought, you know, you seem like the kind of person that that would make sense to. And you get that, that um, everything's sort of interconnected. You take, mm-hmm. one, you take one little component out and the whole thing could potentially topple apart and have to readjust, you know, mm-hmm. fill that space. And I'm happy. If you're like me, then you've got a long wish list of things you need to do around your house. Things you just can't get to. It's not that I don't want to do them, but between my responsibilities at work, producing this show, and squeezing in some valuable mental downtime, I can't seem to get around to fixing the small stuff, and the big stuff is just waiting in line. To be honest, it kind of stresses me out. Maybe you're stressing out too. Well, stress no more because I've got good news. My friend, Ben Von Duke, has started a handyman service, and he takes the mystery out of getting these things done. Ben Von Duke is not just some guy that calls himself handy. He knows what he's doing, and he knows a whole lot. Not only is he an experienced and professional carpenter, but he's kind of a duke of all trades. What I love is that he's created an a la carte price list of services so you don't have to worry about getting in your pockets too deep before you're ready. He'll fix your running toilet, install appliances, replace fixtures, install ceiling fans, repair sheetrock and concrete, and a whole lot more than that. Look, I'm not too proud to say this, but sometimes it takes me three times as long to fix something because I've got to get online and search videos just to figure out what tools I need. Then I have to go buy the tools that I don't have and then kind of sort of come home and do the job. I don't have to do that anymore because Ben Von Duke will do it and do it better. On top of all that, he's just a good person, someone you can trust. He's honest, he's kind, and those are things that I value highly, and I bet you do too. You can get a hold of Ben Von Duke, the Duke of all trades, the good old-fashioned way, by using the phone. Call or text Ben at 337-540-1355. That's 337-540-1355. He'll send you his service and price list, and trust me, his prices are more than fair. And do me a favor. When you do message Ben at 337-540-1355, tell him you heard about the Duke of all trades on Find the Good News. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of envy you a little bit, to be honest, because it does seem like a fascinating profession, honestly. It really is. Um, but 
you know, I, I do a lot of stuff on my own too. That's not just uh, strictly with work. Honestly, I wish I could go outside more with work sometimes because I'm busy writing grants and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, so I do some volunteer work on the side so I can be out there. What kind of volunteer work do you do? Um, one of them, probably my my pet project, I guess, was starting the Southwest Louisiana Master Naturalists, where we're uh, training other people to uh, understand that ecology so that they can go out and teach and do con- community service and that sort of stuff. So you started that or did you just join it or you're volunteering with it? Um, I was one of the founders, really? uh, me and uh, David Booth and a few other people. Uh, we kind of, I started contacting them. I knew he was interested in it and then got a few more people from wildlife and fisheries and stuff. And we ended up uh, starting up an organization four years ago and we're in our fourth class now. So what do you, what does a person have to do to be involved in that? Um, I mean, we involve a lot of people. Um, you don't have to necessarily take the class to be involved, but we do encourage everyone to take the class. It's a, a 12 week long uh, program basically where you get to go out to all these different habitats and learn about uh, different uh, taxonomic groups. So birds, amphibians and reptiles, okay. um, fish, aquatic invertebrates, okay. all kinds of cool stuff. This year we're doing fungi. Wow. So that's cool. So, I mean, what's it, what's, give me a motivator. I mean, for somebody like me, I mean, I'm in advertising, you know, Mm -hmm. but I have a high level of interest in the natural world. What's the motivator for someone like me just off the street to go be involved in something like that? Uh, really, a lot of people join it because they just want to learn more. Um, we've had people join it because they want to learn more about the species that they've been hunting and fishing for their whole lives. Yeah. Um, and some people just go out and want to learn more so that they can further their own uh, career, their own passion. Yeah, that's interesting, man. I, I saw that you were involved in that. I didn't realize you were one of the founders, and I really wanted to know more about it. You know, the word naturalist, I didn't look it up because I wanted to hear it from you. What does that mean, to be a naturalist? Uh, it's someone who is uh, passionate about nature and is driven to learn more about it. And typically that person uh, will record notes and record their observations so that they can share that with their friends and their family who maybe aren't um naturalist i guess i can see a lot of advantage i guess also i can't help but think about it from my own perspective i keep sensing for me uh a lot of spiritual benefit in doing something like that because i i tend to find i get that sort of result when i observe nature Mm -hmm. the patterns begin to emerge and i see i see creativity sort of happening and I, i i find order you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that because it's it's comforting to me. You know? Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know why nature comforts people in different ways. Mm-hmm. You know? It's not just interesting. It's also comforting, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And we've had a few people that have joined it that are more on the artistic side of it. I'm not an artist myself. Yeah. Um, I love to see it and I love to be around it. But uh, we've got a few people that uh, paint or oh, really? maybe crochet or uh, make uh, paper of different things and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so they've joined that as well. And they're getting, oh, yeah. a, a, probably getting a different benefit from it than, you know, mm-hmm. another person. But at the same time, it's just equally rewarding. Yeah, definitely. And part of our course focuses on how to observe and um, how to know what you're looking at and that sort of stuff. So it's not all just, um, you know, here's the biology of reptiles or something. Yeah. And there's some of that. Absolutely. A good chunk of it is that. But then we also to spend time how to identify different organisms or how to make good notes, that sort of stuff. Well, that sounds really interesting. Now, okay, 
you have to walk me down this path here. <laughs> you said how to observe, and I know this is a part of the course, but can you give me a taste of what that what that entails? How to observe deep, like deep seeing, deep looking at something. I mean, what what how do you teach that to somebody? Yeah, well, um, a lot of it's uh, learning about different groups so that you know what to look for. Okay. Um, so, for instance, we go out into the forest in January or early February, and you immediately think, oh, I'm not going to see much. It's kind of cold out. The trees don't have leaves on them. How am I going to identify this? Um, but then we'll go out and look at different trees and stuff. We'll look at um, the buds on the, the twigs to be able to identify it and look at some of the characteristics, um, the way the bark is, uh, different features on, on the, the twigs and stuff. Um, we'll find some species that are already flowering, which you wouldn't expect, but we do have a lot of species that'll flower in January, February. Okay. Um, and that's just one example. I and mean, when we have insects, it's t- looking at totally different things than if you were looking at a bird, for instance. Yeah. And there's different tools too. Um, you know, maybe a magnifying glass whenever you're looking at small things, um, the leaves of plants or insects and stuff. And then obviously with birds, you'd need binoculars, that sort of stuff. Sure. When I was younger, I, I think I, I've, again, it goes back to how you change, you know, as you get older and turn into sort of a new creature or, or, or a, uh, I guess you just add more to your, to your knowledge base. When I was a kid and I used to love to go out in the outdoors, I don't think I had a full, I guess I had an immature grasp of it. You know, I would go out there and I think I had more of a man versus nature idea mm-hmm. or attitude about it. And I didn't watch where I walked as, as much as I should have. I didn't um, try to leave a, a gentle footprint, you know, in mm-hmm. nature as I do now. But um, as I got, and so I guess when I was a kid, where I go from a military aspect, I always saw somehow in a weird way, I had the, uh, had this equation that you had to, survive nature if that makes Mm -hmm. any sense and then as i got older i started uh you know the resurgence of like these survival tv shows like uh dual survival or man versus wild and things Mm -hmm. like that um i noticed something and i started really becoming fascinated with some of these guys that sort of cropped up like cody lundeen and matt graham where they were considered survival experts but they took a more naturalist approach. I mean, when you see those guys out in nature, they're not stomping all over the ground and they're not chopping down anything and they're not repurposing the environment to their needs. They're flowing themselves into the environment and utilizing what nature's giving them. And it's really a beautiful thing. It kind of mm-hmm. opened my eyes. I mean, I, ca- I stopped even thinking of those guys as survival experts, even though they, they survive, I just go, they're not really having a hard time out here. You know, you, mm-hmm. they they are learning about the plant life, the creatures, you know, the temperatures, um, what to look for, and they just sort of flow themselves right into nature. It's kind of a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. I just I, I find that um, I don't know. I want to be more like that, you know. And mm-hmm. then and that leads me to my next question to you: is how is being involved in this kind of um, letting the being a naturalist encroach back into your everyday life because you know you're not out in nature 100 percent of the time sometimes you're in a car you're in your home you're at your job you're out with friends whatever you may be doing how has that impressed upon you different ideas and ways of being out here in the uh, the unnatural world uh let me back up a little bit because uh, you just reminded me of a really good point um 
our brains are set up to be naturalists. Our brains haven't changed a lot in the past 50,000 years, uh, when most of that time we were hunter-gatherers or living most of our time outside where we did have to deal with some dangerous things, but also just knowing what plants are safe, what plants you shouldn't eat, that, that sort of stuff. Um, and we still see that sometimes with tribes in different places, but it's not We've lost a lot of that. Sure. And um, when, you know, when uh, colonizers came over and uh, wiped out a lot of tribes and stuff, we lost that knowledge and we're starting to regain that. Um, so our brains are set up that way already. And you see it with kids, especially if they haven't been uh, scared out of it by their by their parents or by whoever, uh, they they have a natural curiosity for for nature in general. Yeah, I think you're right. It almost seems I've. I would say um, we still our our culture is kind of set up set up to be man versus nature. Mm-hmm. It know? really is. Yeah, it's really kind of hard because I mean we teach kids to do that, you know, to be that way and to fit into systems that aren't natural. I talk about this a lot, and I have to watch myself because I can go off into a hole about this subject because I I, I tend to. I brought it up on another episode, you know, when I go to a place like the Gulf Coast and I'm alone and I sit out there for four hours or five hours, however long I can get that time, the sound of the waves, the sound of the birds, um, I begin to feel it in myself like cycling, you know, like Mm -hmm. a time begins to sort of melt away a little bit. Um, Perception changes. The sound of the waves becomes more sharp and acute. The little details start to emerge, and it sort of takes takes my brain a little bit on a ride. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that one example, but lots of places in nature tend to be like that, or the sound of cicadas when you can really get in the space where you can really listen to them, or just the sounds of the night or the morning. And unlike, you see, okay, I'm gonna use this example. You hear what we're hearing yeah. right now. This is gonna be on here. I cut this show. And I've got fire trucks and ambulances every episode. Mm-hmm. And that's a good example of what I'm talking about. Nature doesn't provide us with these pungent interruptions. Yeah. You know what definitely. I mean? Um, sounds that are harsh on the mind or sounds that alarm us or you know, creatures do that, I guess, you know, but. I don't know. There's just an invasion, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in our world of technology and the clocks that we're forced to live in because the society's set up on them. And now those are getting thinner and thinner and thinner because we live in a 24 hour world. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's doing something to us in our brains that's not healthy. Oh, I think so. Collectively. Too. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, we have more depression, more anxiety, more stress, suicides up, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. I really. Again, I could be wrong and I have no evidence. It's just something that I've felt for a long time that it comes from a detachment from something natural, something mm-hmm. that is that is built into us, just like you said. It's yeah, a, definitely. And there, there have been studies where they've shown that even just seeing pictures of trees helps with some of that anxiety and depression and stuff, at least on a minor level. Yeah. I mean, have you watched this thing on Netflix called um, One Strange Rock? I uh, started watching a little bit of it uh, the other day, yeah. Yeah, it seems like mm-hmm. something you would like. I was uh, watching it with my wife last night, and I was like, huh, this is fascinating. I love this kind of stuff because, mm-hmm. uh, again, it really gets into the core of where we came from, what we are, how it's all connected, where what makes life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating and how fragile it is. Yeah, 
for sure. Yeah. Um, and that kind of, it made me think of you and our conversation that we may have potentially have when I was watching it. They were the first episode I believe was about our thin atmosphere and breathing, you mm-hmm. know, and they talked about the Amazon and rivers in the sky. And it got me thinking about something that you posted. Uh, you posted a picture of a tree that you had planted mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to see if I could get you to talk a little bit about what the value of planting one tree is. Yeah. Uh, Planting just one tree uh, over time, like trees are a part, it's going to sound a little technical, but trees are a part of our green stormwater infrastructure. As one example of their benefits, they suck up so, uh, water from the soil, allowing the, that water to seep in and uh, to get out into the atmosphere rather than flooding houses. Mm. And unlike other aspects of stormwater infrastructure, like pipes and pumps and all that other stuff that we currently do, trees get better as they get older. Yeah. That one seedling's not going to make much of a difference. When it's 10 or 15 years old, it's not going to make much of a difference. But when it's uh, 50 years old or 100 years old, each year just compounds on previous years and they get better and better and better. I'd never considered that. That's how, I mean, I'm ignorant. I I feel ignorant for not knowing that. That makes total sense. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think about that as stormwater. So it's really an investment into the future 30 or 50 years from now. Um, And there's a a lot of other benefits too. Trees uh, provide, especially native trees, provide habitat for a bunch of insects, which almost all of our birds use to feed their, their babies, basically. Uh, most birds aren't going to feed their babies the seeds that they get from a bird feeder. Right. Um, trees provide shade and re- and help our cities stay cooler in the summer, especially, which I really notice when I'm out at the trails at Tooten Park. It's so much cooler in that forest than it is out over the lawn areas. Yeah. Um, and uh, mental health benefits, like we were talking about earlier. Um, all kinds of stuff. I've, I've always been fascinated by just just an acorn you know i was out doing a photography job a few weeks back out at the uh, old courthouse and they have some that beautiful oak right Mm -hmm. there you know and i I had some downtime while i was waiting on my clients to arrive and there were these just big robust acorns on the ground with those beautiful caps you know Mm -hmm. and i just i don't know i don't know how to say this without sounding uh, this is not scientific you know but i just am fascinated by what I'm holding in my hand has the code in it to make that majestic oak that I'm standing under. Mm-hmm. And, and I can cr- I could crush that acorn under my foot and it's dust. Yeah. You know, but within that dust, you know, within that that thing is everything. You know, obviously there's more to it than that. There's light and soil and nutrients and all and time, obviously, and nurturing, but when the situation is right, it's it's like magic. I mean, that that yeah. has that potential. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I don't know. That kind of stuff, just you got to kind of stand in awe of it. Mm-hmm. And then degree. all the creatures that benefit from that tree, once it's producing acorns, there's all kinds of stuff that eats that eat the acorns, blue jays and squirrels. Um, actually, while I was at, at a park, they were working on a project with the city uh, to put some green stormwater infrastructure in. Yeah. I was out there and I saw a flock of grackles. Most, oh, wow. To most people, that might not be very uh, yeah. significant. <laughs> it's grackles. You know, you see them at Walmart. Sure. 
Uh, but these were common grackles, and they actually, um, I'm not sure if they specialize in it, but they actually have an adaptation to eating acorns. Really? Uh, they have a, uh, a knob, basically, on the roof of their mouth that they can use to open up an acorn. Oh, wow. Uh, so they'll roll the acorn around, and they can kind of slice the coating off of it, and they're able to eat the, the inner part. It's kind of interesting that you bring up grackles, because, you know, grackles, some people I've heard call them trash birds, you know, because like mm -hmm. you said, they, they're at Walmart, you know, eating yeah. diapers or whatever is <laughs> laying in the parking lot, which is a sh honestly just sort of a, an abomination into mm -hmm. itself, you know, but... Um, you know, I, I think they're beautiful, you know, when the light hits them a certain oh, way. Oh, they really are. You know, they yeah. did get, get kind of get a bad rap. You know, they're doing what they have to do. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're really, it's not them, it's us. Oh, yeah. That's not the problem. You know, it's not that crackles are trash birds. Mm -hmm. We're trashy, a trashy creature. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, that this it's interesting. I mean, they, they do what they have to do to survive. We've been crouched in their space. And I don't know. I mean, I think... Um, you know, my son and I were looking at talking about Zen rock gardens and, and looking at pictures of that type of stuff. And I said, there's a way to build with nature and allow nature to flow in and still have a human human artistic foot fingerprint, you know, mm -hmm. but it, it you can do that. It just seems like it takes longer. You have to put more thought in it. And it's not as immediately profitable, profitable, mm -hmm. you know, as slapping up pouring a concrete slab, slapping a metal building together and putting a facade on it. But the the long-term benefit of that type of building, I mean, you just see that in, in, in older cultures, I think, is what mm -hmm. I, I tend to, I don't, sometimes I think we just aren't an old enough culture here. You know, we're not ancient. We're not, you know, you go look at ancient cultures, you look like China or Japan or any of these places that had their building techniques are just completely different than ours. Mm -hmm. You know, and it seems like it's because they've been there long enough to, to understand, you know, no, no, mm -hmm. granted, there's the modern, modern building techniques. But if you look at those ancient techniques, I mean, it's just sort of, I don't know, something soothing about it because it flows with nature instead of trying to command it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love how in uh, some of these uh, cultures, too, I'm thinking of uh, Costa Rica. I, I went there and they're not, I mean, their cities and stuff, they're not ancient like China or anything, but there's some older Spanish type structures and stuff. And I love the way they use mango trees ah. and just different uh, fruit trees and stuff. They get really big there. Of course, it's a tropical climate, um, but people can come out and pick mangoes and do what they want with it. It's public property. Yeah, that's interesting. I just saw a, a documentary. I have to look it up again to find the name of it. But um, Bill Pullman, I believe the actor, is involved in it to some degree. But it's uh, about people who are growing fruits 24 20 uh 365 days a year there's always something growing and edible in these mm -hmm. environments so they're building these sort of communities like that where you can just any time of the year you just walk around and just pick off of trees mm -hmm. you know and then you you may not always have the same thing growing but you know that there's always food all around and i was really fascinated by the different one the variety of fruits and things that exist in our world and vegetables that i had no clue you know mm -hmm. and then two i think the idea was pretty sound i mean to build communities where there were those types of things readily accessible because i have had this thought many times i said you know i can go to the store and I can always buy, I don't know, lemons. Mm -hmm. But I know lemons aren't always in season. 
And so when I think about that, just, just for a minute as a consumer, when I just give myself enough air in my mind and, and a pause to just contemplate a lemon, then I go, is that natural? Is this natural that I can have a lemon 365 days a year? And my, when I think about it, it doesn't seem natural to me. And I go, well, so how does this happen? We have to sort of overcome nature, right? We have to force these things to happen to make that possible. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to pulling, hauling, fuel, you know, controlled environments. All that takes energy. And yeah, yeah it just seems unnatural, man. It's it's crazy. And it, it limits the variety in our diets that we can have, too, um, instead of only having, say, lemons in the fall, uh, we can have it all the time. And yeah. it limits the other things we can have because, well, the, the lemons are, you know, in, in the store instead. Yeah. Um, like, uh, speaking of, like, public land fruit, um, I love picking fruit from parks and street trees and that sort of stuff. So I'll go out and find the loquat trees in March. Um, I'm already looking at some of them because they've got fruit on them. Uh, persimmon trees in yeah. October and November. Uh, mulberry trees, which we have one at Teton Park, the birds love, but people oh, also come out and pick it. Do they? Oh yeah, I love the one in our backyard. When we when we get back there, though, the birds have usually had their way with it. Honestly, mm -hmm. I mean it's it's not much left for us. But uh, if you go back there, that's you think it's uh, got leaves on it, and if you get close, it's just the birds just scatter. And I mean, you can go mm -hmm. on the ground; it's a crime scene of you know mulberry <laughs> uh, juice and and stuff all over the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that is pretty fascinating. You know, I I kind of had this sort of sad moment one time. I was at my grandmother's house and they were trying to give away grapefruit. I mean, so many grapefruits. You drive in and there's just grapefruit everywhere, and you just can't give them away. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're, they some of them they just rot on the vine. You know, because there's just not enough demand, yeah. I guess, for you know a backyard grapefruit and everybody's got them. And it's one of those sad sad out of whack situations where there really is an abundance of something but there's no demand for it but mm -hmm. yet it's it's there it'd just be neat if we could capture that and put all that together you know yeah definitely i do I, i'm trying to take in just for a second i had this thought of somebody outside of this conversation listening to it and going whatever you can't do that who cares about lemons who cares about, I want strawberries. Who cares that I go to the store and buy strawberries anytime I want? Who cares I get grapes anytime I want? What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, it's some. It's kind of goes back to that mindfulness of being aware of your own actions. And, I mean, not everyone's at a place that they can take the time to do that yeah. or just may not just know enough or care honestly yeah do you think there's gonna if we don't do something like that if we don't make changes in our thinking and our way of living and the way we perceive nature and just living and our fingerprints all over nature that uh we'll eventually have have to think about it i think so and i think uh, that thinking comes from a few people getting that getting that ball rolling i think it's just not on a lot of people's radar yeah um, people have more important things to worry about. They're busy with their job or taking care of their kids or, you know, trying to make ends meet. And they just don't don't know about it. I mean, I speak to people every day at my job, um, especially when I'm out at the parks and I can get out. And there's just so many things that I talk about that they just never thought about before. Sure. Um, there's, 
they don't have that knowledge base of you know biology and ecology we don't teach that early enough a lot of the times with kids and it's just not there yeah i think you're actually right my son and i have these kinds of conversations a lot and um that is one of the things that we talk about and another thing is um emotional intelligence is not taught to young children either Mm -hmm. i think those two things would make a huge difference you know if kids had education that gave them emotional intelligence and then also you know naturalist knowledge i mean that would Mm -hmm. be huge it would change it does change lives yeah it really does I mean, you look at what you you brought it up earlier, you know, native cultures and tribal cultures, um, not that they didn't have their own types of problems. You know, every anytime humans are together, there's always some sort of uh, when where there's ego, there's conflict. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, they didn't have problems with the natural world. You know, that that was something that was just part of their life. And uh, so it's weird because you go, what's the difference between the the, uh, colonizers mindset and the nature culture's trying the mindset what makes this huge difference you know this mm-hmm. i mean you're talking worlds apart one is to conquer nature one is to you know work with nature it's interesting right oh yeah very interesting stuff yeah and then i look at someone like you so i mean you're brought up in a a western heavily modernized mm-hmm. culture and yet you within you find an interest yeah, and you begin mm-hmm. to change your life, you know. So why could so why can't that happen to everybody, you know? I think it can for a lot of people. Um, I mean, there's you know a lot of college students that are in the same pro- same program that I graduated from that that are going that route. Um, it just takes time and just not on a lot of people's radar. Yeah, uh, we're telling you know we're telling kids, oh, you can go to be a a nurse or an engineer or a doctor what about a you know park manager or an ecologist you know mm-hmm. it's just not on that level yet and honestly those jobs don't pay a whole lot of money either uh, we want our kids to to go to be a lawyer or something but sure it's what we value as a culture mm-hmm. you know right i mean i think that we we could Oh boy, there's so much you could where you can go with this type of thing because if you can breed desire in people for things and security and safety mm-hmm. and comforts, then you can um, breed consumption, which is really great for man, for people who manufacture products of desire, right? Mm-hmm. When you can keep a whole generations and generations of people wrapped up in that idea that you know you can force nature into submission and have those comforts you know um then you forget what it's like to not have them Mm -hmm. and you just want more of it you know and that's really great for profits but it's breaking i mean everything ultimately rests on nature i mean nature is the final say Mm -hmm. you know right i'm assuming i mean that's the way i think of it i mean it's the bottom it's the ultimate bottom line yeah you know everything we've ever built has been extracted from it I think sometimes it's easy to forget that watching that show one strange rock was really i think that's one of the big points it's making is that you know stardust everything is comes from lifeless it's lifeless dust you know mm-hmm. and that everything's arisen from it you know and i think that's pretty fascinating and i'm happy 
You're driving down the road. Everything is going just fine. You're listening to the new episode of Find the Good News in Your Car, and you're all stoked about trying out this zipper merge thing you've been hearing about when all of a sudden you hear that sickening tap on your windshield that's just a little too loud. I've got some bad news for you. You've just got yourself a rock chip. Unfortunately, I've got some worse news. If you don't take care of that rock chip, it's going to turn into a crack. But I do have some good news too. You don't have to have a rock chip or a crack because I've got a way for you to take care of it ASAP. If you go to asapglassco.com right now, you can stop that chip from winding across your windshield like the Calcasieu River. I used to be terrible about getting a rock chip, saying I'll take care of that later, and then later turns into this irritating crack that just spreads from one side of my windshield to the other. I should have taken care of it ASAP by scheduling a repair with ASAP Glass. ASAP Glass is local, right here in Sulphur, Louisiana, and they're mobile. Even better, you can get a quote right from your mobile phone at asapglassco.com. ASAP Glass is owned and operated by two of my best friends, lifelong friends, Dan and Kayla Smith. Dan the Glass Man will make sure his team of glass technicians gets to your job ASAP and make sure it's done right so you can keep that windshield crack out of sight. If you do get that rock chip and you don't take care of it ASAP, that's okay. ASAP Glass does complete windshield replacements. Remember, ASAP Glass is mobile, so you don't have to worry about finding time to drop your vehicle off at their shop. You get your quote at asapglassco.com. Make your appointment with Kayla, and then before long, an ASAP Glass van is on its way to your location. That's it. I know you're probably looking at a rock chip right now. Don't wait. Take care of it ASAP. Go to asapglassco.com on your mobile device and get a quote. That's asapglassco.com. And make sure to tell Dan and Kayla you heard about ASAP Glass on Find the Good News. What do you think about, in our area, industry and conservation? Do you think that we're doing a good job here? I think we're doing okay in some areas. Um, you know, like uh, Sasol, for instance, has funded a lot of the programs that I do. You know, a lot of those industries have supported parks and are allowing us to be able to do a lot of things without raising taxes on, on citizens. Um, but sometimes you, you look at all the development and, uh, for instance, the nature lab that was in Westlake uh, is completely gone. There were trails there named after Native American tribes and all kinds of trees and stuff. I was able to go once before they demolished it all, but it's it's all gone. It's all industry now. Really? And um, there's a lot of places like that, especially coastal places and um, just, you know, a lot of marsh has been converted. Um, an article came out. Uh, with Audubon's research on the black rail, which is a species that nobody knew much about in Louisiana. And the people that have been out there catching them the past couple of years have probably seen more black rails in this state than anyone else ever has. Really? And, uh, I mean, it's a little rail that's about the size of a uh, sparrow, and they're black, or almost black, and they live in the marsh, and uh, they're just not seen. And uh, they're incredibly secretive, and some of the habitat that they're using is going to be developed in a couple of years as more plants come to the area. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. We're seeing creature, we're seeing staple creatures, you know, 
being put on the endangered species list mm-hmm. and disappearing altogether. You know, I mean, I just saw the other day, you know, again, this has been coming for a while, but you know, the bumblebee, mm-hmm. you know, the, the honeybee, I don't remember which one, one of them's on the endangered species list now. Yeah, I think it was the uh, rusty patched bumblebee, maybe. Yeah. And that, that's kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when we start seeing that kind of thing, you, you know, it's got to affect everything, but we forget. So, easily you know what it really takes for nature to work the way it works it's hard it's all there we don't have to do anything Mm -hmm. but we have to do something if we want to control it yeah you know a lot of it's just limiting our impact um like a lot of this stuff i deal with uh is controlling invasive species that were originally brought here by people Um, sure most of it escaped captivation uh, cultivation accidentally and now we're dealing with uh, having to control that in order to uh, let these pollinators and let these native species actually have a chance to survive. Like we release beetles. Sure. Or I might be out there spraying Roundup or something, which is not ideal, but it's better than the whole place being uh, taken over by one species of plant that nothing can really use. Yeah. I mean, do we, what, what are some things that we have here that are definitely invaders or foreign invaders that, I mean, creatures and, and trees and things like that? that uh, maybe how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> what are some big ones then? Uh, I mean. Some big ones. Uh, Chinese privet is a really big one. Um, I mean, it's used to be used in landscaping. I think we use other privets now that may become invasive in the future. But uh, that's one that really is worse than Chinese tallow. It'll, it'll invade a shaded area even and uh, just take over a forest. And you don't even notice it from a distance because the trees are still there. Sure, it's just, um, underneath just the understory all of is gone. Really, uh, we have that at uh, Tooten Park. That's the majority of our understory is Chinese privet. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. What does it look like? Oh, uh, it's like some of those. It looks a lot like yopon, actually. Okay. Oh, uh, the leaves are in a different arrangement. They're opposite each other along the stem instead of alternate. Um, it makes white flowers in the spring, and then there's like dark colored berries in the fall i see yeah see when i was younger i used to i think tallow trees actually are a beautiful tree i mm-hmm. think they're pretty i like the leaf shape you know but boy man you get those things one of those little things drops on the ground and if you don't mm-hmm. watch it you've got a mess of those things everywhere and oh you really fast. do and then when you cut it down it'll just shoot up shoots will come up from every root for you know 50 feet away from the tree you've got little trees growing yeah and they're everywhere around here and i wonder if people really have ever sat back and thought that wasn't here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah a lot of that land was uh prairie too which most people don't even realize there was prairie in southwest louisiana yeah well you know i i know that we've got um a professional relationship with some of the folks out of gross savant and they were talking Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. and there's some even some strange regulations about the way they have to manage those tallow trees Hmm. You know, it was really uh, almost detrimental to doing so. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. So they have to kind of let it be, you know, and do its thing. And I was like, hmm. this, that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. You know, and they talk mm-hmm. it's a big problem, you know. Yeah. What about creatures? What are some invasive creatures that people maybe think? I mean, I know the Nutra rat mm-hmm. was, was the top one that I know about. But I mean, what are some other, you know, creatures that um, aren't indigenous to our area? House sparrows and Eurasians. European starlings, uh, Eurasian collared doves, those are all non-native. Um, really? I wouldn't, I mean, they're invasive, uh, but m- most of their effect is competition with our native birds. Uh, the house sparrows and European starlings will get into the, take over nests uh, that purple martins or bluebirds might be using. Oh, really? uh, so that's their biggest impact. Um, 
Really, most of the invasives are going to be plants, though. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that change ecosystems, and they're the ones that were brought here by people looking to have a nice garden. And you uh, know, yeah, I see. Um, water hyacinth is a big one. Uh, that's not as big of an issue anymore, but it's still pretty big. Really, uh, salvinia is kind of the big one now that just takes over waterways. Really. People, um, are there things people are doing in their yards, you know, when they're doing their landscaping that are like kind of big no-nos to you? Um, there's a few, uh, one of the big ones and it, it's really not really a native species. So I don't know why I care about it so much, but I do is just, uh, people that lop off the tops of crepe myrtles. Yeah. Um, really the first rule of landscaping should be put the right plant in the right place and if you have to lop the top off of a tree you didn't plant it in the right place ah uh, yeah i you know people do that i've i've heard people have even told us to do it and i'm not gonna lie we did it one year i haven't done it since there were some on our property and uh someone said oh it's that time of year to chop you know lop the tops mm-hmm. off and i was like oh, i don't i didn't know i was ignorant i was like mm-hmm. okay and i did it and then i started looking around and i was like why are we doing this and i guess everybody likes the little shoots that come off i don't know why why are we doing why do we? i do think that? that's why people do it um i've heard people say that it helps them flower more yeah um i don't think it does um whenever you're making all those um cuts on trees and stuff you're opening them up to potentially uh disease coming in or invader invaders coming in insects using the tree and damaging it that way um and the regrowth isn't as strong it doesn't have a strong attachment point to where it grew from i see um so it's more likely to be damaged when you have a high wind or something like that okay i go to natchitoches every year in august for a little personal retreat and uh, one of my favorite places to go is the old American cemetery there and they have an ancient's not the right word but they have some old old crepe myrtles in that that cemetery if you've never been there I would you would probably mm-hmm. like it just to, to go check it out those crepes I, I don't know I mean they look like they're 100 feet tall I know they're probably not but in the summer um, and sometimes you know and I guess late spring they tend to flower uh and they're just beautiful in there when the sun comes through there i've never seen crepes that Mm. big but they have some uh i think they're called blood crepes they're really really red to flower Mm. and uh just a beautiful thing but they're not that was why i asked that question because i uh I, I've seen a little bit of talk online about that, about people saying, hey, you shouldn't chop these off. And I thought about that cemetery. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, those have never been cut, you know, and look how big they are and healthy. And I mean, just huge. I just never I've never seen crepes like that. So I don't know. You're right. I mean, so that's one pet peeve. huh? So that's oh, yeah, something. definitely. So would you advise people to just not do it unless it's growing into uh growing into something or or, you know yeah definitely um and if it is grown into something i would even advise them to look for uh, an an alternative to plant there instead that's not going to get so tall yeah um i mean we have a lot of native plants that could be used in landscapes that really aren't i guess that's kind of my other pet peeve what's Um, that say say again please just there's a lot of native plants that we could be using in our landscapes okay and uh we just don't for lack of knowledge i think is the big one um and we're so used to planting uh crepe myrtles or um used to be chinese tallows or whatever um or even some of the uh people plant like sawtooth oak or um norway maples and that sort of stuff and uh we just have so many native trees uh, some people most people are familiar with the comp the ones like um red maple maybe or um southern magnolia bald cypress live oak 
Um, but there's a lot of others out there that could be used to like the red buds. They're in flower right now. You see yeah. pink flowers in people's yards and stuff. That's an excellent native species. Really? Yeah. That's what I, I told my wife. I said, you know, when we do in the spring, when we do stuff around our yard, I said, I, 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 I've never been a huge fan of landscaping and having to, uh, things that are just, you plant cause they're pretty and then they're gone. You mm-hmm. know, have to replant. I like, I like the idea of things that you can plant and they just kind of spread out and come back, you know, yeah. cause, cause it's just a, a more stable um, look in my opinion too. It's more comforting mm-hmm. that uh, I don't have to have as so much work to do except maybe some pruning and trimming. Yeah, yeah, it's less work, and it helps create a sense of place where, um, you know, your yard has these species that you can expect to bloom every year at a certain time or come back to life after after the winter. Yeah. Um, and I think concentrating on crepe myrtles and other stuff, uh, petunias, and, you know, the pretty common landscape things, if we landscape our whole city with that, what separates this city from another city in a different part of the world? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, So native plants can really help bring that sense of place. And I think we're on, honestly, Lake Charles is pretty good about that with all the live oak trees, they're native and excellent trees um, and some other stuff, but yeah. Yeah, now that's all good advice. I I think that, I, I think that when I go around and you, especially when the cleanest or most beautiful city awards are being judged, you know, when they're doing those tours, I've been to a few different cities and it's just what you said. The, uh, the typical, uh, flowering plants are planted everywhere and they mm-hmm. all kind of look the same, you know, to make, to make front street, you know, yeah. or whatever, <laughs> whatever is the main Avenue look really, really great, but, uh, there's nothing unique about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like going to. I bring Natchitoches up again because you'll you get. I guess because it's an old city, you know, mm-hmm. you get to see some really old trees in that city. Things that have just really been there for a long time, especially magnolia trees. Some of those magnolias mm-hmm. are just goliaths, you know. And you just, but I don't see them around here at that size, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wondered about that though. I was curious about your opinion about things we could do. The other thing I was curious about is things we can do inside of our home in our day to day lives to have a lighter footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it, I think, is just um, trying to not use those single-use plastics and stuff. Um, I try to avoid using grocery bags and, yeah. and all that. Um, recycling what I can, although I know that recycling isn't the solution. It's what we can do now to help reduce our footprint until we get to a place sure. where we're not uh, needing those single-use plastics as much. Yeah, and then that's that's difficult. That's a hard habit to break. Mm-hmm. Even if you're trying to break it, you know, I mentioned this when I talked to John O'Donnell, I believe, on mm-hmm. the show, just experimenting at the grocery store. When you go for a, a big grocery buy, seeing how many packages you can buy that are compostable or, you know, that don't have single use plastic wrappers that's very very hard it really is even if you're even the the outside looks like it is what's going on on the inside there might be a thin cellophane Mm -hmm. film or you know a plastic tub or it's everywhere yeah it really is um one of the ways that i've done it um because is uh focusing on produce i eat a lot of vegetarian uh, dishes and stuff and with a lot of produce um you know a lot of produce you can get carbs like potatoes and sweet potatoes and stuff sure and um whenever you get those at the grocery store you don't have to put them in the the 
the cellophane bag. That's right. Um, so I don't. I'll just bring my reusable bags and get as much produce as I can and then get a few other things. I got to tell you, man, even today I thought about you because I was on my way up here to cut this. And I said, you know, we're out of coffee at the studio, so I'm going to grab some coffee and some creamer, half and half. And so I was at the checkout line. I had two little I had two little half and half containers, the paper carton type, hmm. and a bag of coffee. And I told the lady at the, the checkout counter, I said, you don't need to put that in a bag. Because I knew what I went mm-hmm. in for. I mean, I knew it just it was a handful. And so I get to the end and the guy looked at me and he said, you don't want a bag? And I said, no. He said, are you sure? And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> and it like literally is this conversation. Mm-hmm. And he, this kid, he's probably 18 or 17. And I said, and he's looking at me with this weird look on his face. Mm-hmm. Like I'm this weird guy who wants to carry his groceries out in his hand. Yeah. I mean, two handfuls nothing else mm-hmm. and i and, he, and I, so I knew he wanted to know why you know and mm-hmm. i said i'm just trying to cut down on my single-use plastic use and he laughed he was like okay and he went off to go bag somebody else's groceries and i was thinking about that walking out of the grocery store the irony that i was coming mm-hmm. to talk to you you know and i thought that's another thing we've got to change in our society is mm-hmm. just this almost chuckling mentality of oh whatever that's yeah that's silly yeah, for sure you know i had a guy one day i brought my bags in at kroger and um i try to even the whole system isn't set up for that right i mean because at the end of the counter are these little bag racks mm-hmm. i mean ready to load and go load and go and so as i'm in line i was thinking about that one day i said okay i need to put all my bags on the conveyor belt ahead of time so they know you know, that's in front. Hey, use these bags. You know, I'm buying for a family of four, so I'm bringing home a pretty big cart of stuff. So they got a lot of packing to do. Mm-hmm. But I have enough bags to cover that. So I put them on the front. I tell them, hey, use my bags. And then you can see the look at the end where the guy who's bagging, he's like, no, I say an eye roll. It's just like, oh, I can't. I'm not. It's breaking his system, basically. Mm-hmm. You know the rhythm he's got into, and so I try to go to the end and help him pack in the bags. And you just, I just feel the whole awkwardness of the whole thing. It's like I'm in his way. His system's messed up. He's not used to packing in these things. I get my bags, and I feel like I'm a huge inconvenience to the whole system that's set up in there. Because if you look around. And I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, just observationally speaking, mm-hmm. if I look around on a busy night, there aren't a lot of people with their own bags in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm breaking the system in that in that moment. I'm throwing everything for a loop. I'm slowing down the line. I'm not doing things the way that they've got everything set up. And it, you feel it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely. the only way I can say it. It was that feeling of... I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but at the same time, I feel like I'm inconveniencing everybody. So there's that sting in you to go, mm-hmm. well, I'll just let me just let me just get in line, do what everybody else is doing. You know, there's that sting inside of you where you're inconveniencing the employees, you're inconveniencing the people behind you. Oh yeah, it's so much easier just to conform to what everyone yeah. else is already doing. Yeah, and so I. And I don't do it to feel better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the other thing is I think sometimes there's that misconception when you're trying to make changes like this. Um, just this one issue. I mean, we could talk about this one issue, right? Okay, forever. When you're trying to make a change like that, I think that's a misconception that you're doing it so you can feel good. That mm-hmm. you can be labeled 
green or get the badge or you can say i do this and there's sort of a whole i think some people take it as an insult to be honest Mm -hmm. that you're saying you're better than the person behind you in line who's not doing that and i don't think i think that's something i don't reason i want to talk about that on the show is because i don't think that at all Mm -hmm. i think that has nothing to do with it it may be for some people but i don't think it's an ego thing at all if anything it's an ego depleter because Mm -hmm. you're getting Gosh, shun's not the right word, but you're getting that vibe that people are going, you're inconveniencing everyone. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know? And just, you know, we're not, it's, for me at least, um, it's easier. Um, it's easier than collecting my bag of bags later to bring to the store or just forgetting about it and it's taking up space. Um all the I have like six reusable shopping bags. I never actually bought any of them. They were given to me at events yeah. that I went to, um, or my mom gave me one that she got for participating in a trash bag. They don't they don't use re- uh, reusable bags either. Um, but yeah, so I just use the ones that I have. They they're by the door. Um, I pick them up whenever I go grocery shopping, and then I don't have to deal with all the bags afterwards. Yeah, man, I'm with and you. Just fold them up and put them back whenever I'm done. Yeah. Um, and that, that mentality of just being responsible for our own actions and uh, picking up after ourselves, I guess, um, is something that we say we care about and we try to teach our kids that, but then whenever it comes to our own actions, especially environmentally speaking, since we're not, not everyone's as, in, as educated about it or informed about it, um, we don't focus on that in, in that way. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, and I mean, I think you just have to make a decision to not worry about what other people think mm-hmm. about it, you know, because when I go walking in, I have a, I have the same thing. I have four or five bags that I've been using for a while. There are some that I like. I did buy them, but I like the size of them. They, they're convenient for me, and I can put a lot in them because we do go home with a lot of groceries, mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. the little bags just don't cut it, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, I come, when you go walking through the parking lot with these big, bright, you know, five giant bright green green shopping bags i mean it's you you've painted yourself you know that oh, per, yeah. that that person you know definitely so i'd love it if we lived in a world especially around here where you do see more of that because look if you don't see if you don't do it what you're going to see is exactly what we already see is that stuff gets dropped out during trash pickup mm-hmm. like as john mentioned in the podcast people aren't locking their um you know, they're big trash bins outside the business. The wind blows. I mean, that stuff's all over the mm-hmm. place. It's in the drainage. It's everywhere you look. Oh, yeah. And it gets in back of people's trucks. They're driving over the bridge, and it just flies out. It goes into the water. Yeah. Um, I was out actually under the bridge, uh, the I-10 bridge, doing a beach sweep. And stuff was falling from the bridge. As you're doing. Like grocery bags and stuff. It was probably in the back of someone's truck. Um, yeah. And, I mean... I drive trucks for work and I have my own little pickup and there have been times where someone put some trash trash in it and I wasn't aware of it and it flew out whenever I was driving down the road. Yeah. God, man, I totally get it. I've had the same exact thing happen to me. Somebody's put trash in the back of mine. I had Mm -hmm. to get, I got a cover for it, you know, because I was tired of that kind of stuff happening. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's just a whole mentality that we have to take, take the time, change our pace. And I think some of that is what it is. You know, you said it earlier that people are just trying to get by some people. It's like they don't Mm -hmm. have time to think about this, but at some point, 
at some point you're at DEFCON 4, you know, where it's yeah, like, definitely, you know, we all have to do something collectively or it's just going to continue to fracture. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's not one answer. It's just going to take a little bit of collective. You're saying a lot of good things. I mean, by eating a different diet. Mm-hmm. That's know? part of it. Um, and I mean, a lot of that responsibility for all that got shifted to the consumer, say, 60 or 70 years ago. Um, it used to be the corporation's problem, and it got shifted to the consumer. Well, what happens when your consumers can't, just don't have the time to, to worry about that? Right. I mean, I've been to uh, Cambodia last year, about this time last year, and uh, there's plastic water bottles everywhere. Because people don't necessarily trust the water in their location, so they buy plastic bottles, and there's not that infrastructure to get rid of it. So right. it's just on the sides of the roads. Yeah. Um, and it's worse than it is here in a lot of places. I mean, it's really bad. Um, but how do you expect people that are living, that are building their way up, they just got to where they could afford a family uh, motorcycle, smaller motorcycle than what we're used to. Yeah. And you know they're trying to better their own life and they just don't have the time or ability to be able to worry about all that other stuff yeah you um, know what do you say i mean to that okay so you've seen that with your own eyes and so you know it's real you know and you know what's going on mm-hmm. but there's that out of sight out of mind mentality i mean you know i've talked about this a lot on the show but you can go street to street and have a different experience and like sulfur for instance you know mm-hmm. where you may have like a pristine what i'd call pristine street you know beautiful homes and then turn the corner and then you've got still got blue tarps on the roofs you know mm-hmm. um but on one street it's out of sight out of mind they don't know what's going on on the next street because it's not their problem yeah it's not their problem how do you tell somebody who lives in southwest louisiana to care about what they're doing and that it's actually affecting people all over the world. That what's going on right here, their their actions in their home matter globally. I mean, that's tough, right? It's it's really tough, and I I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a complex problem with multiple solutions. Yeah. And I mean, no, I I, I yeah. agree. The only thing I've come up with after thinking about that type of thing is one. It's going to take a long time, and it may not be time we have, honestly. Who knows? I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. But the other thing is you have to do it generationally. I mean, you've got to change it in yourself first to whatever capacity you can and break old conditioning. And then try to teach it to your kids and help because they're they've got some conditioning, too. Mm -hmm. and, And just begin to wash that out because... I hear this all the time, the invasion of the culture. I hear that with, depending on what someone's defending or someone's trying to protect, they'll use that term. Well, that's just the invasion of the culture. Whether It might be a religious tradition. Um, it might be an educational system. It might be a business. But they'll use that, what's well, the invasion of the culture. The culture is trying to take this away from us and, and make it theirs. To some degree, I mean... That's the other in this conversation, you'd almost you'd almost have to say the same thing, right? You mm-hmm. have to change your children's minds and then you're and hopefully they're changing their grandchildren's minds. And at the same time, you've got culture invasion from the outside saying, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Just get in line, buy your stuff, go home with your plastic bags, throw them in the trash. Don't worry about it. Do what you do. What what happened? Do what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. You're making a problem. You're rocking the boat. Don't do it. 
Oh, that inertia is strong. Yeah. That cultural inertia, I guess. Yeah, cultural inertia. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know what the answer is either. I just think it's um, it's going to have to be done. It's going to have to always be an education arm. We've got to start giving more attention to those voices that are educating us and not demonizing them because mm-hmm. i mean you environmentalists are demonized constantly oh and yeah made to seem like you know one thing uh that i was talking about with somebody is just just language changing the language of something makes a difference because mm-hmm. i think people who um heavy industry proponents will use global warming right and they'll say Oh, yeah, look at this global warming. It's snowing. I mean, where's the global warming? And I go, well, okay, that's a very simplistic way of saying that. Mm -hmm. But climate change, you say that, and you have a whole different conversation. Climate change, you can get into um, the interconnectedness of things. Okay, yeah, well, it's not global. Just global warming is changing the climate and and the way those things are connected. That's why you're seeing these strange temperatures and mm-hmm. places you know then you can have that conversation but it's easy to make someone just seem a fool and go look snowflake where's the global global warming and people go yeah i can agree with that and move on they disregard mm-hmm. that stuff and th- then those voices aren't given the attention anymore yeah definitely you know i mean i would say if i had to i don't know i might be reaching but i think what you're doing in southwest louisiana by having the job that you do and and educating people i mean you're one of those voices yeah I try to, yeah. Um, and like speaking of climate change, uh, you know, teaching people about nature, they go out and see, oh, this tree is flowering earlier than it used to. Yeah. Um, that's a really big interconnected part of that. And one of the ways that they kind of first figured out that the climate was changing, uh, yeah. looking back at records from uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, looking back at records from Aldo Leopold back in like the 1930s and looking at this in those same locations because we know where those guys were yeah you know just recently and things are happening earlier yeah you can see that in your front yard oh absolutely right here in southwest mm-hmm. louisiana i would challenge anybody that's listening to what we're talking about because i see it in my front yard because i watched that oak tree i've watched it ever since we lived there and i mean just in 12 years it begins to show new leaves earlier and earlier. I mean, I told my wife this morning, I said, this is strange. I mean, they're already, this isn't normal by based on what I've just observed in a decade, you Mm -hmm. know, that it's beginning to show leaves earlier than it did. I mean, just a little bit earlier each year, but it has done it. I mean, it's the truth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the little things I've seen. And all you have to do is mark it on a calendar Take yeah. a picture, post it to Facebook, and then it'll show you when it happened last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even just if you think about your childhood, I mean, I, I talk about waiting for the bus stop sometimes with my kids. And I said, well, when I would wait for the bus stop, it was very common to have frozen water. We had a, you know, a dirt driveway with mud. There's always water in there. It was very common to have frozen um puddles in the driveway you know i used to Mm -hmm. i can remember every year you know i'd I'd like to crack them and throw rocks through it i mean i remember that as a normal thing that doesn't happen at all anymore you know yeah so there's definitely changes um and it seems silly to someone's like oh you can't base anything on that i'm like well same location same time year after year just like you said it's observation Mm -hmm. something's not the same right yeah it's very easy to see we just don't give anything time 
to, mm-hmm. to observe it properly. It's like, well, that's not happening right in front of my face right now. So obviously it's not true. Or things change at a slower pace than what we can experience. Um, I wanted to look up the term before I came here, uh, but there's, you know, uh, in places where there's glaciers and stuff, the people that have been living there their whole lives don't realize the glaciers retreated by miles even. Yeah. Um, But then someone maybe grew up there, moved away, and then they're visiting 20 years later and they notice that and they can't convince the people that it had changed because it changed so slowly. Yeah. It's like being a, a frog or something where you're, you're in the water and you raise the temperature slowly and they don't jump out the pot yeah that's right you can that's right that's a, a classic example mm-hmm. you know you get a, a frog will boil to death yeah never get out and not realize this is being boiled yeah i mean it's kind of like when you visit somebody and they have children you know especially with mm-hmm. children you go whoa i haven't seen you in a lot of you know a long time or if somebody's uh, on a diet and they're losing weight you know most the people who see them every day they, mm-hmm. they don't even notice the change and then someone who hasn't seen them in a year will go whoa what happened and all of a sudden you know yeah, it's just that exactly. uh yeah we we have examples of this all around us that we can pull from mm-hmm. but for some reason when it comes to these environmental changes we just don't want to accept it for some reason uh, collectively mm-hmm. i mean not you and i here but uh i think it's just because we're talking about completely different timetables you know the earth has a totally different timetable than one human life is Mm -hmm. just a just a flicker if yeah we don't we don't think on those time scales at all um i mean industry and stuff thinks on uh quarterly timetables uh we think on uh when you're in school you think of semester timetables uh we really don't think on decade long uh, scales at all yeah no you're you're right I uh, I think that needs to change, and I think it can change. But again, you use that word at the beginning. I think mindfulness is a part of that. Mindfulness, mm-hmm. awareness, education, um, and just beginning to see just for as a human being, as a creature that can definitely, with our intelligence and the resources that we have, can really affect a lot of things a lot of other each other the environment i think we have to begin to take like a a huge responsibility as being an intelligent Mm -hmm. conscious creature and say you know every step i take i am i can potentially change something right in front of me i have to be conscious about what i'm doing Mm -hmm. i think part of that uh is viewing ourselves as part of that community yeah instead of being uh us and then nature man versus Um, versus exactly um and uh one of my favorite environmental writers is aldo leopold and he wrote a a sand county almanac and one of the essays in that book is uh, the land ethic and he talks about that and how our view of ethics has changed drastically over the millennia uh you know people were seen as property at one point that's no longer the case for for most of us at least for society um you know we view other other species differently now we view um whales as being somewhat sentient and we view our pets as family um, but we haven't extended that ethics yet to uh the land yeah or you know the the natural community i guess yeah and that actually god man and i'm not going to dive into this too far but you know you're you're touching on something that i am seeing and i know a lot of other people are too we're even seeing old sentiments where we're not even seeing other people as valued human beings anymore too you mm-hmm. know what i mean we're at a point now especially in our country where we're st- we're almost 
uh, seeing, I guess in political arenas, we're seeing those voices rise up again where one people is valued more than another mm-hmm. people, you know? So we've got a lot of work to do. You we know? do. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, some, that's some backlash to, to the advances that have been made over the past uh, few decades. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. I think Matt Young though made a good point on when he was on here and he said, you know, even though those voices are loud right now, if you look at the long arc of the whole thing, we have where our trajectory is towards a more just, you know, society. Mm-hmm. And then this is going to pass if we, if we stay strong and, and continue to try to cultivate mm-hmm. compassionate, um, seeing. And I think and I, I throw that word in there because I think that's what it's going to take too. We have to have, extend our compassion to the natural world and to other creatures, you know, and mm-hmm. see them as, you know, children of creation, you know, too, yeah, just like definitely. us, you know, and be good stewards and mm-hmm. use, and, and not just use our intelligence from, uh, I don't know, as a, as a master. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm happy. This episode's Fishing for Goodies Fishbowl sponsor is Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center in Sulphur, Louisiana. I don't know what you look for when you travel, but one of the things I look for when I'm putting together my itinerary is a unique museum or gallery in the city I'm traveling to. I do this almost every time I go to a new city, but if I'm being honest, I'm guilty of not always doing that very thing right here at home in Sulphur, Louisiana. That's really a shame because we have one of the most interesting, historically relevant, and culturally rich corners in any city in the country about two minutes from where I'm sitting right now. I'm talking about the Brimstone Museum and Henning Cultural Center. Have you ever really thought about why our city is named Sulphur? They've got a permanent exhibit on the history of the sulphur industry that answers that simple question and more. You really get a full scope of just how important the sulphur mining industry was to the development of Southwest Louisiana and the impact it had on the rest of the world. Yes, the rest of the world. On the same property, right next door to the museum, is the Henning Cultural Center, presenting some of the most interesting, modern, and culturally relevant local art shows I've ever seen. My dear friend Tom Trahan and the Brimstone Historical Society have really worked hard to give us this treasure, and it's a multifaceted jewel that I plan to take advantage of more often. You don't have to wonder what their hours are, or how to get there, or what shows are coming up. Just go to brimstonemuseum.org, like I did, and subscribe to their mailing list right there on the homepage. That's brimstonemuseum.org. Tom will make sure you start getting the announcements for each and every new show at the gallery. But you don't have to wait for the mail to arrive to enjoy this historical local treasure. You don't have to be guilty, like me, of overlooking a local wonder that conveniently sits next to the Grove, one of the most beautiful walking parks in southwest Louisiana. Drop in and say hi to Tom for me. Tour the museum and center, and make sure to tell Tom that you heard about Brimstone Museum on Find the Good News. Now, let's take that dive in the fishbowl. Well, it's the time of the show where you get to dive in the fishbowl. Okay. So you get to draw three questions out of there, and then we'll see where we go from there and discuss them. Okay. Sounds good. All right. One at a time. One at a time. You can draw them all three. It's up to you. The most unfair thing about socialism is dot, dot, dot. That's interesting. That's actually relevant to a lot of conversations going on in our that is culture right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of I didn't I, I, I mean, didn't know that was in there. That's really <laughs> interesting. The most unfair thing about socialism. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's something I haven't dived in uh, too deep. But um, what's your initial impression of socialism? I didn't think we were going to have this conversation, so hmm. this would be yeah, interesting. I didn't either. Because I don't know. I mean, I know I know what I know, and I don't know what I don't mm-hmm. know. You know. I mean, I'm sure maybe it sounds like neither one of us are really qualified to have a a deep uh, deep conversation about it. But I mean, you know, initial thoughts. Oh, definitely. Um, I think a lot of there's a lot of conversations I've seen recently where people are tr- having conversations about what the definition is. Yeah. Um, you know, is it the state ownership of all industry or is it social programs that benefit the less well off? Yeah. And um but how it's defined, I guess, politically in our country at the present moment is more on that second definition, sure. you know, and I think um, you know, there's a role for for providing that safety net and I don't have the answers to what right what exactly needs to be done i'm not a politician um but i do know what for instance what uh unfettered capitalism's done to our natural world sure um the longleaf pine forest that used to be in our area just on the other side or on this side of the calcasieu further up north and um you know before there are regulations they just come in, chop everything down, get extract what they could from it, and then move on. Yeah. Um, it's a taking. Just take. Oh, absolutely. And, like, um, the town where I grew up, Lutcher, Louisiana, that family cut all the cypress down. Then they moved to Orange, Texas, and with their now their wealth, started sure. a theater and the, the cultural stuff that they do out in Orange, Texas. Um, but... So I think there does have to be some sort of check on on that. Yeah. On people coming in, extracting all they could, and then leaving. Yeah. Um, I saw a statistic this was a couple of years ago now where uh, they said if if the industries that extract all that wealth from the earth actually had to um, pay for that, you know, because there are costs that come from that, a lot of them wouldn't even be profitable at, sure. at what they were doing. Um you know, covering the cost of uh, what it's doing to our environment, such as the oil companies that I think we're getting sued or something um, that damaged our co- the Louisiana coast with uh, pipelines and canals and all that that have caused all the coastal erosion. Yeah, um, and that's something that's not going away. I mean, it's no. detrimentally, it, it, exponentially getting worse. Oh, yeah, it, it just builds on itself. Um, and like that... Uh, the Taylor uh, oil company that has the oil spill that's been going on for a decade now. Yeah. Um, you know, they were wealthy enough to fund the top scholarship, which helped me and anyone close to my age go to college. Right. Um, now they have that environmental cost. Right. Um, so I don't think unfettered capitalism is, is the answer. And I think, you know, we do need to provide that regulation to keep that from happening and to keep that from hurting people. Like, yeah. it, like it's doing in Louisiana with our coast um, and to provide for, for some of the less fortunate uh, people. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. You know, it, it would take a lot longer than we had to talk about mm-hmm. to, to go into every all the downsides to something like that. But I do think, again, using that word compassion, I don't always know how collectively we are to be compassionate as, as a whole. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth the attempt. You know, to try to look at other people and creatures and the environment with 
loving kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. And we have a responsibility to at least try to come up with a solution that's good for as many people as possible. Yeah. And if that's socialism, I don't know, but I know Mm -hmm. that I see when I hear the conversations, I think the seeds of that are in there somewhere from Mm -hmm. one perspective. Um, you know, the other voices in that arena that I hear are saying, well, you know, this is what this looks like. And that means you do a lot of work and somebody else gets the benefit, you Mm -hmm. know, that you've worked so hard for. And I understand that I get that. That's, um, that's the society we've built. You know, that's the system that we've established. That's how we do. I work hard. I get mine. You don't work hard or you have some tragedy. That's not my fault. You don't get yours. Mm -hmm. Um, What I don't hear in that particular layout that I just stated is the word compassion somewhere in there. And I think the longer we keep going thinking like that without a compassionate middle somewhere, I honestly think we kind of starve ourselves of our humanity Mm -hmm. and what makes us uh, a special creature. And I think, I think love and compassion, intentional love and compassion do make us uh, special in that regard because we can choose it. Definitely. Uh, well, it's pretty good conversation about yeah. socialism, I would say. I don't know what everybody else thinks, but <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> Hopefully there's, a, there's not a ton of backlash there. Hey, you drew the card. The fishbowl fish gives what the fishbowl gives. So that's why, that's why it's there. Well, let's see what else you get. Okay. Do you like ro- watching reruns? Oh, that's a good, safe question. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do actually. Me too. Um, actually, I was watching The Office the other day. <laughs> the Office is that your favorite show, like rerun wise, to go back and watch? Or do you um, have some favorites? One of them. Yeah. Uh, I like The Office and uh, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of reasons, yeah, but sure. now that I work in <laughs> Parks and Recreation, for sure. Um, but yeah, part of why I like watching them is it's something light to to wind down the day on, and um, I can you know kind of watch it and have it going in the background while i'm folding laundry or something like that yeah you don't have to give it your full attention mm -hmm. it's like yeah but it's still comforting it's almost like a comfort food you know it's something you're familiar with um and you can just kind of make it or eat it without without thinking a whole lot yeah it's it's nice to have that huh it's nice are there any movies like that for you where you just like you know something you've seen like a hundred times or more because i have one that's like that or a few that i just go back to just because they comfort me um i actually don't Really? Um, one that I haven't watched in a while, actually, was um, just Planet Earth. I mean, it's not a movie, but it's yeah. a shorter series. Yeah. Um, I can see why that would be comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife and I like to watch, and this is an oldie. I don't, it's probably before your time, but you may know what it is. Uh, Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon. Do no, you know that is? I, I don't. Michael Landon, uh, Little House on the Prairie. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. Now, he was uh, he was the dad on Little House on the Prairie. And then in the 80s, mm-hmm. he did a show uh, where he was an angel that was trying to earn his wings. And so he would travel around, you know, from city to city and just do good deeds and like getting these little adventures. And uh, when I was a kid, I used to love it. And, and it reminds me of my grandmother's house because I spent a lot of time there and they would watch it. So I, I, mm-hmm. I kind of grew mm-hmm. to love it. So for one reason, it brings me back to that sort of space. I can kind of get into that zone I was in when I was a kid. But then the other thing now rewatching those old reruns is that I realize how much those types of shows like imprinted on me as mm. a kid and how you don't realize what mm-hmm. you're soaking in. And as I'm rewatching it, I'm like, man, there's some like serious moral lessons in this show about this angel you know and the things that he was dealing with even then back in the 80s i'm i'm fascinated that 
they they have a new um, version of that today. You know, mm-hmm. those same problems are still in existence. The same moral dilemmas. And I'm like, man, even just in my lifetime, this <laughs> we, we could use that angel to come <laughs> come solve some of these problems. You know, now. But yeah, that's one for me for sure. And a comfort movie, I guess, uh, one that really comforts me is uh, Dances with Wolves. I could watch that. Mm-hmm. You know, just something about that prairie and you know the uh seeing the way the indians and the native americans lived and just the compassion and 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 communication efforts between kevin costner's character and them you know building the language bridge and watching that unfold and the adoption of some of their culture into his life and them in them doing the same in return i love that it's just such a beautiful mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. have you ever seen that no i haven't oh um, my god i gosh, want to man. now though you should watch that especially You'll like it because Kevin Costner's character is a lot of what we talked about, in my opinion. It's what I get take from it is that he was a man in his time during the Civil War. You know, he was a soldier. He conformed to what everybody else was doing. He was fighting brother against brother. You know, mm-hmm. he faces death and it changes him. And what he wants to do with his life is go to the frontier, you know, where uh, the last natural place, basically, mm-hmm. where man isn't at. Where, and when he gets there, there's nobody there. So there's a lot of time by himself. And so a lot of the movie is him observing. It's him watching what's going on and observing. He observes some wolves. He observes the weather. You know, and you, get to, you get to hear nice. what's going on inside of his mind. Mm-hmm. And then he encounters the Sioux Indians, you know, and it was, and it's terrifying at first, mm-hmm. but you get to watch him figure out how to bridge uh, the language barrier and then the culture barrier. It's really good, man. I mean, you'd mm. probably really enjoy it, honestly. Yeah, I'll have to go watch it then. Yeah, check it out. It's a long okay. movie, but it's a, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's a quiet movie. It, it's uh, relevant to what we talked about today. Yeah. Well, cool, man. You got one more question <laughs> in the bowl. How does love factor into what you're doing with your life? Oh, wow. That's a relevant question, too. That is. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll, whenever I'm out there around anything nature, yeah, I absolutely love it. absolutely love just seeing the intricacies and even just the little weeds in the lawn or uh, how you might find some uh, insects that may specialize on that plant there. And, um, oh yeah, I absolutely love doing that. And I love showing other people uh, what they can find out there too. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy. Um, actually at the bird walk on Friday, I picked up some Spanish moss um, cause I know a little bit about it, not a ton. Um, but I know that it's not a real moss. First off, it's a, br- in the, um, air, it's an air plant okay, and it's yeah. more closely related to bromeliads and pineapples and stuff. So I like to share that with people. And whenever I picked it up, I saw a caterpillar on it. Really? Uh, just a little bitty green caterpillar probably turns into a camouflage looking moth. And so I showed people that too. And it's just so easy to find cool stuff. Yeah. I, I love it when I see a creature that's just so small. You know, Mm -hmm. and I mean, and you just sit and watch it for a minute. A lot of times it's a little spider or something like that. I mean, something I just wouldn't notice or the light will catch it the right way. And you can just sit there and get sucked into that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, yeah, love is the word, I think. I mean, for me anyway, I I understand what you're saying. There's a, 
you know, you can get off into love and what that really means. But I mean, there's something about that when you look at another creature or even a plant or something and you think about all the um, evolution that had to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and the environmental changes and the way this creature was shaped over time. I don't know. There's something loving about that. Yeah, definitely. You know? And it's it's a way to experience that uh, connection with that thing. And yeah. I think that's part of what love is or what, it, what love can be is um, building on a connection with someone or something. Yeah. And so... Um, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. God, man, you have a big smile on your face. I wish everybody could see it. I mean, you, you like talking about this stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Makes you happy. What well, makes you feel love, man? Right? Yeah. I do have one more question for you, and it's actually on the back of that coffee mug right there, and it's uh, your coffee mug, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, if you'll read that question, we can talk about that. Did anything good happen today? Yeah, um, I actually spent all day today at home. My wife's at work um, and just doing stuff in the yard. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, it's the great backyard bird count. So yeah. I've been ha- have my binoculars at hand all day today. And yeah. uh, there were some really cool birds in our front yard. Um, I was actually in the house and I heard chickadees from inside. So I just kind of walked out there and there, were, there was just a flock of uh, Carolina chickadees and uh, yellow-rumped warblers and uh, blue-headed vireo, which is one that I, you don't always see. I don't know that I've, I don't know if um, I've seen that. They're usually alone, usually in wooded areas. I don't live near a wooded area, though. Yeah. Um, but there are some mature trees in the neighborhood. And um, that was just awesome to see all that. And then um, I was raking leaves out of the ditch, which seems like a really sucky task you know um help doing my part to help with drainage yeah (laughs) and um there was a little snake in there in the leaves and uh i picked it up it was non i knew it was non-venomous and um i've never seen one like that before and i picked it was a rough earth snake i think and um yeah that was just really cool i love that that's what you said because you know that question is sort of uh a big part of the show and honestly i'm kind of ashamed to admit this but when i first started the show i was intent on that being my main question you know for mm-hmm. people because something i tried to change years ago with my family was uh, so often with the end of a work day i would come home and i would say so how was your day and when you say how was your day that that could be a lot it could be mm-hmm. any direction and what i what i noticed was that most of the time what i would get first was oh this happened today and it, we, we want mm-hmm. to talk about maybe the negative things or the sensational things that happened throughout the day as time goes went by i realized that you know if i just re just retooled that question just a little bit it would actually retrain everybody in the family mm-hmm. to begin to say what look for the lights during the day you know like to go well dad's going to ask me what good happened today so i need to really look for it during the day now i never actually told them that that was my plan but by changing that it has changed the nature of our evening conversations you know would anything good happen today it gives you pause for a moment yeah. to look at your day through a whole different lens instead of just looking at the day mm-hmm. some people would say that's cheating yourself out of being honest about what really happened during the day but I, I tend to think we have enough 
we have enough negativity in the world that it's okay to put on those glasses for just a moment, you know, and kind of cherish the little things that maybe we would have missed mm-hmm. if we went right into a conversation. Yeah, definitely. And just to focus on the good thing that happened, because uh, so it's so easy to focus on the negative things. Uh, sure. But when you get that good thing in your mind and you focus on that, it really helps your mood um, yeah. so that you can maybe look at some of those negative things in a different light as well. Sure. You can actually judo flip those things. I mean, that's one of the things I like to say is like, can I take this negative thing and sort of give it new karma? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can take this thing that happened and judo flip it and like turn it into something good and not trick myself, but like take the energy of that thing. I've had an occurrence recently where something negative kept happening over and over in conjunction with another person. And I realized I, I was trying to make peace in this situation and I realized that peace is not a peace is not an is accepted right right now. Mm-hmm. They don't want a peaceful solution. I can't change that. But I can judo flip this by taking the energy of what I quit trying to make peace with this individual and just go off and do something good of equal value to what I'm trying to put my energy into over there. And so I've I've been trying to do that and it's actually really been a better um, exercise for me because then I, it's like, it's almost like saying like, I'm taking an invisible force here, an invisible force here that is not being received over here Mm -hmm. and just redirecting it towards something that I, that it can actually be good at or make, make a difference at. So, yeah, I mean, focusing on that, that kind of thing. I mean, then, then what happens, you begin to cultivate, you want more of that, you know, you go, Hey, I want to look for creatures more, which you're already doing, but for somebody, Mm -hmm. you know, they can say, well, you know, if I'm going to be asked this question daily, I maybe want to cultivate more good things. So I have a better answer. Yeah. definitely. (laughs) So how do people, uh, how do people find you, find out more about what you're doing, get connected with some of these programs that you've mentioned in the show? Like, what's a good hub for them to do that? Um, I mean, not a huge fan of social media, but everything's on Facebook. Sure. Uh, the Southwest Louisiana Master Naturalist, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group that's kind of tailored more towards discussions. Um, okay. Anyone can join that as well. Really? So that's not private to... Right. Okay. Um, so you could join that or just like the page. We post cool stuff. Um, I posted something um, the other day that I think was a lyre leaf sage, which is an early season wildflower. Yeah. It's one of the prettiest ones I've seen uh, just at Hillcrest Park. Yeah. Um. So that would be a good way to get in contact with the, with them. Um, you can find uh, through City Hall, uh, Lake Charles City Hall. We always post our events there that we do at parks. Sure. Um, so look at the events. Uh, we haven't posted them yet, but there's a few in uh, March that we'll be doing to the bird walks and stuff. And okay. there's some other events. Um, really, those are the best ways. Yeah. Well, y'all, I'll say this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say since I've reached out to you, I've been a consumer of those things because I'm trying to make sure I've got good information coming through my social feeds. Because I mm-hmm. also, for years, was not a big fan of it, and I still don't love it, but it is a good media tool. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you turn the dials the way you want them, you can you can really put the right information in your feed to where you're getting what you want to get. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm really trying to do. And I'll say this by following you and then following some of the pages and things that you just mentioned, uh, definitely putting better information and y'all do post good things. I mean, pictures, um, event dates, things like that. So it's, if you're looking for something to do to get more in touch with nature, I would say you definitely, you guys definitely are putting out enough information. Someone can do that. Mm, we try to. Yeah. We're doing a good job of it. I'm, I think you're good news. 
I'm glad to have you in the community, man. And thank you for coming to talk with me. I hope it was, uh, I hope it was good. Yeah, it really was. Thank you for having me and thank you for cultivating this space that I can just talk freely about all that stuff. Oh man, you, you, anytime, man, anytime you want to come back, we're going to be doing some call them mixtape episodes where we're going to bring people past guests in from different categories and have roundtable mm. discussions. Oh, that should be fun. Yeah. Cause I think we'll begin to find connections between uh, different groups, you know, mm-hmm. people that maybe aren't working together can find ways to build something new and interesting to give back to the community and, and just more opportunities for people to find good things. Awesome. I love you just as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Find the Good News. If you would like to advertise on this show or sponsor an episode, just visit findthegood.news. Send me a message and we'll see about getting your business, organization, service, product, or event on the show. I deeply thank each of you again for supporting this podcast.